शर्म बदतमीज छी छी I'm Sangeeta Pillai and this is the Masala podcast where we talk about all those things that we're not supposed to talk about as South Asian women. Sex, sexuality, periods, menopause, mental health, nipple hair, shame and many more taboos. Sex is something important to talk about regardless of whether or not you want to have it at all or before marriage or after marriage it's time we heard the voices of real south asian women not just those we see in bollywood or in mainstream western media it's time we had a real voice a loud and proud and strong voice i think it's that public versus private thing of like they kind of know it's happening but as long as you're just not being super obvious and doing it in public um then it's fine I've invited some incredible women to sit at my kitchen table, drink chai and put the world to rights. In this episode, I'm talking to Shireen Shah, who's the co-founder of SAS, South Asian Sisters Speak. They run the popular Brown Girls Book Club. Today, we're going to have a podcast book club with Shireen as well as Mehak Mehta and Maryam Siddiqui. The book we're discussing is Erotic Stories for Punjabi Widows by Bali Kaur Jaswal. The book is described as warm and hilariously funny, big-hearted and earthy. This gem of a book takes on a big taboo, sexuality among older South Asian women. Hi, I'm Maryam. Uh I work in compliance in a fintech company in London. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, my name is Mahak. I work in policy um and I uh enjoy writing and reading. Yeah. Hi, I'm Sharon. I'm the co-founder of SAS, which stands for South Asian Sisters Speak, um which brings together South Asian women to share our experiences. Um and by day I'm a lawyer. And by night, <laughs> I'm SAS. That's like, that's it. That's it. <laughs> I won't I won't let you have my sordid secrets of what I do. <laughs> what are your sort of cultural backgrounds? Where do you come from? Where does your family come from? So, I'm Pakistani. Uh, but I was born and raised in Brunei. Um, but because <laughs> so this just sounds quite absurd, but because Brunei doesn't do uh it's by blood, not by birth. So, even though I was born in Brunei for 18 years and lived there for 18 years, I don't have citizenship there so I'm still Pakistani and I've been living in London for the last 8 years. Um yeah, so bit of a mixed bag I guess. Mehak? Um yeah, so I was born in India, Gujarat specifically and I lived there for 7 years and then moved over to London and since then I've kind of lived in a few places. So I've lived in the Netherlands, Paris and I think mostly it's been London. Um I'm also Gujarati. Um born and raised in London, uh but my parents are both um born and raised in East Africa, so my dad is Tanzanian, my mom's Kenyan. Um and so yeah, I've got that slightly interesting like African influence on Mix. on my upbringing as well. Brilliant. So Erotic Stories for Punjabi Widows is by a writer called Bali Kaur Jaswal. I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. And it is a rare thing a book which features erotic gar by you know an indian south asian writer has older asian women having sex shock horror i want to read um a passage from it just to sort of yeah. take us to it why did you stop he asked 
He barely uttered the last word when Nina lowered her lips onto his precious organ. It became rock hard to her touch. She began moving her lips down, feeling every inch of him tense beneath her. She took care not to put too much weight on him because his back was hurting. <laughs> her weight rested on her knees, which were positioned on either side of his chest. So I wanted to start by asking you if you, when did you read it for the first time? And do you remember what it felt like the first time you read it? I read it when Sass uh, did a book club on it last year, wasn't it? It was December, yeah. Um, hadn't heard of it. Was great to have the book club to alert these books happening and even just read it. I, I didn't know what to expect when I saw the title, but I was like, sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> sounds great. Um, but still didn't expect the content that was there, but was super pleased to be like, well, this is going to be different and already seems necessary. So that's great. I think I heard about it funnily enough from a French woman who posted it on her Instagram story. And then, um, you know, I was like, oh yeah, I kept on seeing that book around in the chick flick section in Waterstones. And then <laughs> Sass recommended it. So I picked it up, you know, uh, for the book club. And I was like, quite surprised at how many people have read it who aren't South Asian. And I really like that. I was like, oh, this is something that's kind of has mass appeal and, mm isn't seen as like alien or the token diversity book. So I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, we chose to do it for the book club because we, we're always trying to choose books with different themes and um, so that we can explore these issues that I suppose we don't discuss as South Asian women. So we've done ones on like domestic violence, mental health. Um, and so we heard about this one and I have to say it was far more erotic than I expected. Like I really... I was like, yeah, yeah, it's called that. But I, I still, I, I was the same. I had no idea what to expect. I'd heard a couple of good reviews about the book, um, but I was very pleasantly surprised. And I definitely had a few times I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, when you're reading the stories of, of like the um, older women in the community. So yeah, yeah. yeah it was, a, it's, I really enjoyed it. And I think, I think today is still one of our favorite books. I remember reading it and I, was again surprised at how erotic it was. And I also I remember thinking, oh, this is a bit odd because it's like older Punjabi women. And the language was not what I was used to in kind of South Asian or, you know, writing that, you know, things that we're familiar with. And it almost made me think that our idea of sexy literature is a Western idea. Um, Such a good point. Yeah. So this is you know, Punjabi women talking about sex or so our grandmoms probably talk like this. But it just feels a bit like, oh God, what is that? I guess my reading habits are Western. And then I look at South Asian literature through that lens, which I thought was a bit interesting. Yeah, it reminded me of when the first time I heard, um, I wasn't part of this conversation, I happened to be privy to it, of older South Asian women talking about sex and it took me a couple of minutes to clock that's what they were talking about <laughs> because initially I was like surely not um, and then they kept going and I was like oh my god this is happening they are talking about things I don't know how to handle this um, and then and I think I was maybe 14 15 at this time and it eventually sort of as I got older it was quite comforting actually to be like oh good but still, I it still felt like another world, which I was too uncomfortable to venture in because it ripped away all the understandings I had until that age. 
Um, but there's also something comforting in knowing that that world exists uh, and quite humbling because we often think that as the, a younger generation or modern generation, which I can't see, but I put in <laughs> speech marks because I have problems with that word, which we can discuss later. Um, yeah, that we are, we have, we think of things ways that previous generations don't. And we think we have a monopoly over those ideas and expressions and we don't. We just have the privilege to express them more openly than they have. I wanted to talk about some of the themes in the book that occurred to me and feel free to kind of add things. Obviously, female sexuality is the biggest theme of the book. And it's really interesting because within South Asian culture, um, female sexuality or, or uh, volition doesn't really exist in kind of whether it's films or whether it's books or whatever it's kind of where the receptacle for the man you know or you're trained to be a certain way because you're pleasing the man it's never about female pleasure uh, definitely not about female orgasms um then i thought there was an interesting thing about kind of um women getting mistreated as well you know abuse the sort of undertones of that judgment i think the whole sort of social you know what will people say and you know within south hall when she goes to you know all the other characters who are talking to each other or her or whatever so to me they were very interesting i wondered what you thought and if you had any kind of views on that i well i'll, I'll just talk on sexuality i think um it's interesting i think i think it's changing in terms of i mean you have very bad films like Vera the wedding which tries to um you know someone has an a very terribly played orgasm in that um but there's there's also like films like love stories i don't I was, know if yeah, it's on Netflix. brilliant it's amazing and, and there's is, one in yeah. particular which is like um about female orgasm yeah, and the, last, the final film yeah the final one yeah. um and the girls like using vibrator and and the shame in front of the whole family when they realize um so I think that is that is changing and obviously um something I would say is that that shift I see happening very much in like the cities in in India or South Asia in, in general but I I think there's such a disconnect with the diaspora in that our culture is I know my I feel like I always say this that my family's culture they're upholding this 1930s which is when my grandparents left India when they were like 13 years old from a small village in Gujarat that's the kind of culture they're trying to still uphold um and so yeah in terms of like these conversations around sexuality like I never had a conversation with my parents about sex like it's just not it's like a you definitely don't do it that's that you know i don't know how subliminally you find it out but you just know that you're that's not. the safe sex talk <laughs> yeah. don't do it it's just like that you that's definitely exactly don't it. do that um it's like celibacy not contraception which is so weird yeah. <laughs> yeah. um but you never you never talk about it and it's it's a very yeah shameful thing and i think especially growing up in the uk i it was always it was viewed or explained to me as like that's a white thing to do like to have sex before marriage or to do anything sexual is a that's what white people do that's not what we do um and I don't know if anybody else had that experience but for me for a really long time that I think is I grew up around a lot of South Asians as well and I think that's we had this really weird thing of seeing all of our friends at school were you know sexually active and whatever but we all had this very conservative I suppose attitude towards it because that's what we were hearing in in our houses was that 
that's not a thing we do our people don't do that kind of thing but um I also think it's such a disconnect in that you know historically and like an ancient Indian culture like I mean you go to any temple in in India and you've got all these like extremely erotic um carvings that I think this whole thing is I always blame colonialism for everything to be honest and I kind of feel like that those ideals are pushed onto us and now we're trying to slowly you know unlearn them and unpick them but actually I feel like we need to bring back that understanding we have of the culture that we've actually come from did support and did actually encourage these kinds of things so yeah Talking about this Reisei book reminded me of that other very famous erotic book from South Asia. You know what I'm talking about, the Kama Sutra. I've been dipping in and out of the Kama Sutra over the last few years, and it's been such a revelation. Despite being written in 3rd century CE, this is an incredibly liberal text. A woman's sexual pleasure is mentioned as an essential part of lovemaking. Sexual positions are only a small part of the actual text. Instead, the book is a joyous celebration of the glory and poetry of sex. Pleasure for the sake of pleasure and nothing else. You'll find pages devoted to every form of foreplay, from kisses, love bites, love marks and more. And there are pointers on how a man should conduct himself while initiating sex with a less experienced woman. Tenderness, says the author, will take a man a long way. And what I personally find rather sweet, pages devoted to how a man should get himself ready for his lover, like this extract. In the pleasure room, decorated with flowers and fragrant with perfumes, attended by his friends and servants, the citizen should receive the woman. He should then seat her on his left side, and holding her hair, he should gently embrace her with his right arm. The lovers may sit on the terrace of the palace or the house and enjoy the moonlight and carry on an agreeable conversation. Isn't that beautiful? Today we expect our men to be able to find our G-spots without any signposts, and even your mum reads Fifty Shades of Grey. But in 3rd century CE, that sort of focus on a woman's sexual pleasure was a revolutionary idea. Attitudes to sex were far more open during the times of the Kama Sutra. And sexual expertise was expected to be part of the repertoire of any intelligent cosmopolitan adult, men and women. Perhaps if that same attitude carried on in modern-day India, sexual violence against women would be less common. Maybe. Just maybe. Sex is something important to talk about regardless of whether or not you want to have it at all or before marriage or after marriage. Because I think one of the really interesting things, so I'm from a Muslim family, um, and one of the inter- really interesting things, and this probably applies across religions, is what makes you a prude in Western culture can make you a slut in South Asian culture, whether that's, you know, Hindu, Muslim, whatever it is. And I think just being able to talk about sex and have ownership of the conversation of sex 
is really important to allow people to not then just have their sexual decisions be dictated by whichever society they're in. So, you know, if you're a woman who actually has been raised both in the West and with, you know, with a South Asian family and your choice has been, or a man for that matter, your choice has been actually for X, Y, Z reason. I know I have the choice to have sex before marriage, but I choose to have sex after marriage. You should have the ability to have, to, to say that, to exercise that right. But if we don't have the conversation about sex, how are we going to have the conversation about not having sex? How are we going to have the conversation that having only having sex after marriage doesn't take away your right to have pleasure with in sex after marriage? And it's not just for having kids. Because I think how many of us grow up thinking our parents had sex the exact number of times in order to have the child or had sex only up until they got pregnant for as a means to an end. And there's just so many factors around it, which aren't just to do with the act of it, but all these decisions and expectations around it. Cause we, especially when we're living in like cross-cultural societies, you've got one where if you haven't lost your virginity until 17, God, you know, you're, you're a late bloomer. And then you've got one, if you've held hands with a boy, sharam, shame, all of these things. And until we give these subjects a voice in all forms of society, but especially ours, where we, we're not allowing any point of view to come through, let alone just one point of view, um, we, we can't really move forward. We can't empower all the people who need this conversation to be had. People who are ashamed for having sex, people who are ashamed for not having sex. All of these things are relevant. So that's, you know, and what I um, sort of to take this back to the book, what I really liked actually was that, um, sorry, what was the lead character's name? Min Nikki. Nikki. I don't know why I wanted to say Mindy. Mindy. Nikki. Uh, oh, maybe that's the sister's name. So I liked the fact that Nikki and Mindy are both daughters in the same household, grown up in the same, you know, everything, but are two very different individuals because it says neither has authority over what you're supposed to look like as a young British Gujarati woman or young British brown woman. One person can have the same experiences and make this decision. The other can have the same experiences and make another decision. And, you know, there's, and that's why like previously I referred to the word modern because what, what is modern? No one has ownership over these words. And instead we just create this homogenous, this is modern as someone who wears sleeveless clothes or someone who wears in Muslim families, especially back in Karachi, if you wear sleeveless clothes, you're modern. You know, over here, it might mean you have boyfriends. And, and in another family, it might mean you have sex. You know, we just need to sort of really take back control of the conversation mm. of who we are as individuals. So, yeah, that, that was a great thing for me in the book, that you had two separate individuals with different decisions. The other really interesting thing for me on the one of the themes of the book was South, older South Asian women. So normally they are an invisible lot. So they are the mums and the aunties and the grandmums. And somehow I've, and I think, I think a lot of people think of them as very asexual, you know, and I think it probably comes from sort of the whole, what I call a mother India complex, you know, mothers are holy and mothers are kind of pure and, you know, we don't want to think about them having sex. It's this kind of, you know, really disturbing idea. So in the book, I love the fact that a lot of the women, they are older women and they are talking about sex. They're talking about pleasure and they're talking about 
whatever there might be fantasies, but that is their minds and that's what's happening to them. And I, I love that. And I think we definitely need more older female South Asian voices. Even within the work that I do with Masala monologues, most of the monologues are written by 20, 30-year-old women. I try very hard to get older women, 50s, 60s, but it's impossible. I think it's a double kind of whammy where we don't see them as sexual or in any shape or form. And maybe there's, um, even within them, they don't want to come forward and talk about anything that could be construed as sexual. I would draw a parallel there with young women admitting that they watch porn, Mm -hmm. for instance. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, this sort of just occurred to me as you were talking that that's something, you know, women wouldn't openly admit in a crowd, right? And that could be very similar to much older South Asian women finding, you know, just admitting that, yes, sexual pleasure weighs the same sort of, even if you know it's okay, even if people tell you it's fine, mm. weighs a similar em- embarrassment, which has just been coded been, in yeah. you. So yeah. I completely, it's it's obviously a shame yeah. that it's difficult to get those voices, yeah. but it's so understandable as well, because we're only just coming to the time yeah. in society for us, both as brown women and white women and however, to be like, you know what, actually, we can talk about this. We can talk about pleasure. Like, for example, I, I remember at university, my friends who are white, it was a thing to talk about having sex. But what you were saying is like, I definitely think it's a time now of like, okay, let's talk about female pleasure. And, and that's having its moment now, which is quite nice. And that I think it's becoming more open to think about these things. But yeah, it was really nice. And I think what I particularly loved about um, the stories in there was the language that they used. Yeah. So obviously, like talking about the aubergine and like all of this. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. it really, um, I, I think that was really nice yeah. because it yeah. not only demonstrated that, you know, older women have, you know, think about their sexuality and talk about it, but it was also the way in which they talk about it. And I think that... Um, I found that quite endearing and it was, I always looked forward to like reading the next story and, and what was it going to be and um, all their different fantasies. So yeah, of course, of course I would love to be able to have those conversations with, um, you know, older women in my family and, and it wasn't such a taboo, but unfortunately I just don't think that's the, and it's not their fault. It's also no, just it's like not. what it's they've inherited. It's very um, conditioning. And I know that, you know, the women on my family have, have said to me, like they weren't even told what, sex was before their wedding night they literally had no idea what was going to happen and I think on the point you touched on earlier about violence I actually think that one of the biggest things we're like you know ridding young women or women of in not talking about sex is stuff like that is navigating that space like knowing you know what is and isn't okay for your body knowing um like that you can have control in those settings I, I think that's something is um because we don't talk about it women don't really have those tools to navigate those spaces because they're just really vulnerable because nobody's had that conversation with them and I think that's something I really worry about with not having yeah. these types of conversations there's a really interesting New York New New York Times kind of um, article that I read about like the pain of female sex and it's really interesting because it's about the study of like actually I think it was like four in five women when they have sex they experience pain whereas like 
almost no men feel pain when they have sex. And like the amount of studies done on Viagra compared to yes. like one study done on a female f- like feeling hurt when she has sex. Cause you're not, you're not taught that it's like, men aren't taught how to, you know, not hurt women even through an act of love. And it was like quite, I don't know, it was just like quite hurtful to read. Um, yeah. well, did yeah. they give the reason why that was? Four out of five women felt pain. So they, they said it was actually really interesting the way they categorized it. So they said that women, when you ask them the question, like, did you enjoy sex? They would say it was okay. And by okay, they would, even if it was painful, they would say it's okay. Whereas men, if they completed, they would say, oh, it's okay. Yeah. So does that yeah. make sense? Like the yeah, comparison yeah, yeah. was so yeah, off the yeah, charts. Yeah. yeah. And I also, it also annoys me that a lot of descriptions of sex are, you know, there's an A to B to C. This happens, this happens, orgasm happens, and usually a man's orgasm happens, and that's the end of it. So, and yeah, 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 it is. But whereas female pleasure is a lot more fluid, you know, and but in a lot of literature, that's not talked about at all. There, it does exist. There are some very good female writers, but this, this whole kind of sex is structured, and it happens like this, and these are the points. It isn't, you know relationships and sex are very fluid it depends on who it is depends on what you're doing with them and how you feel at that particular point so I think that's definitely something to think about I you know I'd like to think about it and I'd like sort of writers to write more of that I think and have a genuine reflection of what female pleasure looks like which it isn't that that's a very male point of view I think um the other thing I think Shun you talked about which is you loved the way um, there were descriptions of sex, the aubergine and things like that. And it's a very kind of earthy Indian, Pakistani, Bangladeshi way of describing sex. And that's, I think, language as well. So, you know, there are a lot of things that you can't translate into English. And the descriptions of sex are very much as if it were written in Punjabi. There's an earthiness to it, which um, at first it's like, oh, what is that? And then you kind of get into it and it's really pretty cool I think it's a desi way of having sex that we've not really heard about before I thought and I really really enjoyed that can I like address the point about older women yeah please I do. thought it was quite interesting because all your life you're like supposed to lead up to it's supposed to lead up to marriage you're supposed to say celibate but even when you're married you're still not supposed to enjoy sex so it's like when do you enjoy sex even after your husband's dead you're supposed to be celibate And it just felt like a win because I was like, these women have just, some of them like had really unsatisfying sex lives. And it was the first time, probably like if my mom ever spoke about sex, I think it'd be in a setting like this, the first time she'd ever speak about it. And it must have been so empowering to like, you know, be in that setting and for the first time feel like you can explore your sexuality. Yeah, absolutely. And I just loved it because I was like, oh, I guess, you know, like you can still be sexual when you're older, which is even in Western media, like you said yeah. before, I think it's just not been explored. No, it's not. It's a very um, heterosexual male point of view, I think, that sex is described in in most films, most literature. It's very annoying. Yeah, no one <laughs> minds that Hugh Hefner yeah. was having sex until God knows what age and was, you know, always a player. But that that can never has never really been transferred to older women um and i think as a younger generation we also need to take responsibility 
in that in in voicing that this is out there because we've got the privilege of being able to be in a time where we can talk about these things and what's you know what's so great with the lead character is that she admits herself the shock of discovering that and then takes her role in creating that platform for these women and that i think is such a, a, a some of the concepts that sort of we talk about now which are very buzzwords like safe spaces like platforms all of this the story does really well in showing how, what that looks like in action essentially this sort of writing area was a safe space for these women and what nikki does is allow a space for them to speak this and then to share it with the world gives them the platform instead of being like i'm nikki and this is what i've done it's like staying in the background putting them forward so i think it's 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 a really beautiful way to demonstrate that and also shows our stake in doing this and our sort of responsibility i'd say another thing that we i think forget which was so nice to have this point of view from older women is the desire for romance and sex not you know we we don't like growing up i think the only time i've seen my parents hold hands is you know when they were visiting me in london in oxford street and my dad was like she's going to get lost so <laughs> so they were holding hands um and i re- and sometimes i do and it's really heartwarming but it's the thing which we don't often see in previous generations we i'm seeing it a lot more now with sort of my siblings with my cousins where they will be more romantic they will have that arm around um their husband or wife in photos but you don't see that as much um in the previous generations and i've never doubted that there's a lot of love between my parents i think i've been very blessed to grow up a, in a household where my where i do believe that my parents are in love you know they had a traditional arranged marriage and all of those things and i know that they are very much in love though they don't show it in the way we are used to seeing it but even though in the back of my head i know that i'm not used to being aware that they both well i mean talking about women and that you know my mom must also be a romantic in her own way and just cuz i don't see it and think oh so you, you know when you're talking about the book nikki doesn't want an arranged marriage she wants romance she wants to have a boyfriend all of these things those aren't mutually exclusive you know these women however they got married it doesn't mean that they didn't desire romance it doesn't mean they didn't want their own love story and i feel when we 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 sometimes take that away from them we take away sexual pleasure we take away their desire for romance and in doing that we're sort of pushing ourselves away to say this is what we're like now we're not like the previous generations but these stories really allow us to see how much common ground there is between them and us um and that that transition that nikki sees and learning about that it's it's really it's really lovely actually yeah it's very heartwarming yeah no i i i completely agree with that i i hadn't thought about the romance part but i think that's so true and yeah we do definitely have i think as a younger generation that thing where you know we people i hate using the word but people say backward and they and they talk about like our parents or our grandparents being like oh you know they're so backward because they had an arranged marriage or they got married at like my grandma got married at 12 and that that was really backward and all of that kind of stuff but you're completely right it's like it doesn't mean that in 
because they did that they didn't want happiness or they didn't want romance or they didn't want success or any of that that was just the system in which they were they didn't you know that's a system in which they were brought up and that's what they believed I think with all of us we can only um we can only aspire to a certain extent to like what we've seen around us and for them that was the reality and they probably thought that that was going to bring them all of those things um and yeah I think the romance point is so I've literally never seen my parents um I don't know have any have any form of like romantic gesture between them <laughs> like there's a couple of times where if you know if they're really upset or, or something has happened or one of them is grieving I think there's the is a time when I've really seen that they have such a great companionship um and they really care about each other but um those traditional like again probably western ideas we have of affection is not what we see and then mm-hmm. um, yeah I just thought you put it really well Mariam that was like I have this um, slightly off the point, but my mom, I've never heard my mom call my dad from his first name. Oh, it's a very Indian uh, so, thing. So, so or Pakistani sad. thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and we'd always try to, I, as a kid, when I clocked it, I'd just be like, what's his name? Who are you calling? <laughs> and she'd always say, Sunye, which means listen. Um, <laughs> and I, I, it's, it's really cute in yeah, its own yeah, way, but yeah. it's such a South Asian thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that just reminded me of that. Do you think the lack of kind of physical displays of affection, which obviously doesn't exist in traditional South Asian cultures, do you think that hinders sexuality in any way? Or do you think that they're quite separate? Uh, a little bit, I suppose, in that I think... Um, I think the attitude definitely of like physical affection is quite because you maybe don't see it and you don't see your parents doing it or your grandparents doing it you do internalize this thing of like it's wrong to show physical affection in public um so yeah like I definitely would have these things around like holding hands or like somebody like even kissing me in public I I remember for a really long time feeling like oh my God, like that's really, you know, don't do that. Or like um, kind of feeling like it was a shameful thing. So I think that, I think it is also that there is, I feel like with my parents' generation and especially when it comes to them having sons, they know their sons are having sex, but it's like as, as, as long as it's behind closed doors and it's not obvious that there's something going on, they're kind of fine to it and they and they like to play ignorant, I suppose that's the thing. And so, I think it's that public versus private thing of like, it maybe isn't as, um, they kind of know it's happening, but as long as you're just not being super obvious and doing it in public, um, then it's fine. Yeah. And it's so funny that being okay with sons doing it. Um, I don't know if you guys have read Feminist Manifesto by Chimamanda Adichie, and she makes that point as well. And she says something along the lines of, and I always wonder, who do they think their sons are having, what women do they think their sons are having sex with? Yeah. Um, And just the complete irony of that position when it comes to everything, you know, when it comes to, you know, my parents would be mortified if they even thought I had a housemate who was a guy, but wouldn't have that issue with, my brother is having a housemate who's a woman. And it's just like 
this makes no sense what you're saying. But that's so funny because women are always expected to like control themselves. So if you bestow so much control upon a woman, then why don't you trust her with a man? Whereas you say that men are out of control and yet you put them in positions where they're around women. Like, which is it? What are these <laughs> like narratives that you're creating? No, absolutely. Yeah. And in terms of what you were talking about initially of uh, not ch not having that physical relationship as present, I suppose, um, in front of people. I think that that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I think it relates a lot of what you said about shame and how that can be attributed to that. And I feel taking that shame away doesn't have to manifest in public displays of affection. There are other ways, but probably that the shame bit does feed right into it. And just thinking of it from like the current generation or newer generations points of view, I know for me, it's made me really, and I think you, you've touched up on this as well, Sharon, of, of we don't really know how to function always in a society where, especially if you're in Britain or in growing up in a Western society, it's like, well, I haven't seen this in my daily life. So I don't know how to do this now that I'm in a different position. And I just remember really starkly um, when my brother got married and him and his wife immediately were so, you know, comfortable with each other physically. And I just remember thinking, where did my brother learn to do this? I thought I was emotionally stunted because of all of these things. How did he learn these things overnight? Um, so it's really interesting to see how that can how that affects that generation itself. So like our parents' generation, but also how that sort of trickles down into the ways that we think where we have the ability and the choices to be more public about our affection, but still feel so inhibited. It's it's like we're carrying that burden of having to hide things or not being sure what you can, what is right, what isn't. But I don't think affection is just physical. I think there are lots of like small gestures and things. And I think for all the freedom we have for physical, you know, affection, I think we're starved of other forms of affection, which I see like my uncle and aunt, when I went to see them in India, it was like very touching how they really cared for each other and how like, for example, you know, um, like my uncle would really like to eat this one specific thing. So my aunt would make sure it's there. How they'd both like spend every single morning drinking tea and like watching the squirrels and they'd learn like, which squirrel was like the really naughty one and that would just be their ritual. And that I think that form of affection is really lost and maybe it's old school, maybe it's, you know, not Western, but yeah, I think sometimes it's like an overemphasis on the physical. So love looks different in different cultures, doesn't it? Is I, think, I think you're totally right. Yeah. Um, and in fact, like earlier when I was saying, you know, I know my parents do love each other and are in love. I, I wasn't really able to articulate why, I know that, but it is through those like forms of things, yeah, yeah, which we just haven't been sort of given the language to say this is what their love looks like because we've been given such one-dimensional ways of expressing love and all of all of these concepts from a different lens, which wasn't made for our culture always or our parents' generation. And it's even like with parenting. I, I remember when I was at uni, like my, I feel like we all probably have this thing of like food is such a love language. Yes. Oh, like, yeah. Within South Asian families. And I, I remember like my mom would literally, when I had exams, make me two weeks worth of like, 
Chakrotli and like 40 Theplas and like send me on my way. And um, my friends at uni used to always see it as like, I'm this really horrible daughter who makes my mom slave across <laughs> like the, you know, slave in the kitchen to give me food. And it was a, and I was just like, I know that every, and I, I remember as the years went on being like, oh no, no mom, like, oh no, like I don't want anything. And I, I actually for a really long time re- didn't realize that that was really hurtful to her because as much as you know she might get stressed in the process of doing it for her that was it's a really strong way of like showing love and caring of like you've got a lot going on I want to make this easier for you and I and food was that way of doing that and um I think it's like you were saying like those it's again a cultural thing of like being the British the British person the British side of me I suppose is like oh no I don't want to put anyone out of their way like oh that's really rude to like you know to put to make somebody do all of that for you and all of that but for in in South Asian culture that is just like a really big part of that relationship and and showing that caring about someone. I think with a lot of families particularly you might not say I love you because that's not part of how we express but you make 40 tablers you know or whatever they love and like you were saying you know it's how we show love. I think it's the language that we use to show love. I think that honestly, yeah, mums making food for their kids is quite possibly the most accurate language of love in South Asian culture. I, I never thought about it that way, but you're completely right. There's like this really nice thing that um, all my cousins do and I do as well. It's like when you say you like something of someone else's, they'll offer to give it to you. Yeah. And that's like, really nice and it's things like i'd be like oh, i really like your necklace and i'd be like do you want it and <laughs> it's like every single time like the generosity and like the forcefulness yeah. and you might i don't know i think that's just like really a nice form of love as well which doesn't exist the willingness to, like give up material things yes instantly absolutely. as well like yeah. i have this with my cousins where you compliment something and goodness you'll spend the next half an hour saying I don't want it I just want to say it was nice but the fact that that comes without any hesitation is just the sweetest thing and that is something I've only seen um, in South Asian culture I don't think I've seen it anywhere else I'm Sangeeta Pillai. Thank you for listening to the Masala Podcast. Masala Podcast is part of my platform, Soul Sutras. What's that all about? Soul Sutras is a network for South Asian women, a safe space to tell our stories, a place to reclaim our bodies, to tackle taboos within our culture, to be exactly who we want to be. Get in touch and tell me your stories about your taboos. Check out my website, soulsultras.co.uk or get in touch via email at soulsultras.co.uk. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Just look for Soul Sultras. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe and leave me a nice review. It really helps.